Relationships and friendships are key to our very existence. The book of Proverbs speaks a lot about friendship. And the book of Proverbs, which teaches us how to live skillfully, shows us that one key means to pursuing a skillful and a wise path is to pick good friends. This is Timeless Truth Today, and I'm your host, Matt Williams. Welcome to part 10 of Skillful Living, Introducing Proverbs, a 12-part study in Scripture's Old Testament book of Proverbs with Pastor Paul Twiss. Pastor's text for today is chapter 6, verses 1 through 19. What is a true friend? How important is it to have one? And does God care? In this world fraught with foolishness, where friendship and interpersonal relationships are necessary just to make your way, is there any biblical way to seek out friends? Well, Pastor Paul will say that there is one sure way to glorify the Lord, and that's to reach out and pursue good friendships. Conversely, when we pursue bad relationships, we can do great injury to the name of the Lord. Why is this? Here's part 10 of Skillful Living, Introducing Proverbs. Tonight, Proverbs chapter 6, verses 1 through 19, the word of the Lord reads, My son, if you have put up security for your neighbor, have given your pledge for a stranger, if you are snared in the words of your mouth, caught in the words of your mouth, then do this, my son, and save yourself. For you have come into the hand of your neighbor. Go, hasten, and plead urgently with your neighbor. Give your eyes no sleep and your eyelids no slumber. Save yourself like a gazelle from the hand of the hunter, like a bird from the hand of the fowler. Go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. A worthless person, a wicked man, goes about with crooked speech, winks with his eyes, signals with his feet, points with his finger, with perverted heart devises evil, continually sowing discord. Therefore, calamity will come upon him suddenly. In a moment, he will be broken beyond healing. There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. So reads God's word. Well, friendship is a powerful thing. 
Winston Churchill once had a friend, and his name was Frederick Lindemann. The two were unlikely friends. They were polar opposites in many ways, in terms of their tastes, their lifestyles, their habits, their practices. Lindemann was an academic. He was a vegetarian. He was a teetotaler. He was a scientist. He was even something of an accomplished athlete. And if you know anything about Winston Churchill, you'll know he was not those things. Maybe that's what drew them to one another. They were very close friends. They spent much time together. People would comment how they'd often seen Churchill and Lindemann sitting up till the early hours of the morning discussing the newspaper together. People would refer to them as the Prime Minister and the Prof. They would say the Prime Minister and the Prof have decided. During the war, Churchill would often look to Lindemann to help him make decisions. He would seek out his counsel to help him make decisions of a military nature. One of those decisions has now become infamous. One decision is remembered until this day not as something to be celebrated, but as the sorry result of that friendship. You see, during the war, the British military were divided over how best to use their bombers, the Royal Air Force. There were some that favoured a tactical approach, a tactical employment of these planes, and that would be simply to use the bombers to target the German factories, the German airfields, the German munitions stores, a fairly standard practice. There were others that favoured what was then called a more strategic approach, and that would be to use the Royal Air Force to target civilian homes. The idea was that they would bomb cities in Germany specifically to target innocent civilians in their homes, destroy their livelihoods, so that over time, with consistent bombing, the German people would lose their morale. Their morale would break. They would become tired of the war effort, and eventually Germany as a nation would give up. Churchill turned to Lindemann and he asked what he should do with the bombers. Lindemann was in favor of strategic bombing. And so Lindemann put together a case to pursue that route. He wrote Churchill a letter. He used data that was available. He lent on studies that had been conducted. He put together statistics. He formed a, an argument and he sent it to Churchill and he said, there is no doubt that the best use of the bombers would be to pursue strategic bombing to bomb the homes of the civilians. Churchill took the advice of his friend. Over 160,000 airmen lost their lives, and even more civilians. Looking back on that episode, one of the members of the parliament at that time, looking back on the episode, he said, I do not know what our descendants will think of us. Will they think that we were wolves with the minds of men? Will they think that we resigned our humanity? Historians now agree that strategic bombing was a disaster. It did not wear down the morale of the German people. If anything, it increased their resolve. 
And obviously, there was a huge loss of innocent life. One analyst even suggests that the war could have finished up to a year earlier if it hadn't been for the strategic bombing. Now, the interesting thing to note is that as you study Lindemann's letter to Churchill, his argument is flawed. The data's wrong. The statistics are fudged. The logic is not tight. It's as if Lindemann knew that the case was not there, and yet he tried to make it anyway. And so the question that historians ask is, how was it that Churchill was so blind to how bad this plan was? How was it that Churchill couldn't see through this? And the answer was because Lindemann was his friend. He was his very good friend. And friendship is a powerful thing. Friendship can cause us to make errors of judgment. Friendship can cause us to make bad decisions. Friendship can cause us to stumble and to trip. That was true during World War II. It was true during biblical times, and it is true today. Friendship is the topic that Solomon addresses in this passage. Chapter 6, verses 1 through 19, it's a self-contained unit in the book of Proverbs. And yet at the same time, it's important to think through the function of this unit in its broader context. Again, 1 through 9 is the lengthy introduction. Just prior to chapter 6, we have chapter 5, which is a warning against adultery. Chapter 5 is one of those poems where the father warns the son to keep away from the adulteress. There's no mistake that the message here is keep away from her. Then we have our passage, chapter 6, 1 through 19. After that, immediately, Solomon picks up again on the warnings. Chapter 6, 20 and following, Solomon is at it again saying, Son, keep away from the adulteress. Do not desire her beauty in your heart, he says. And so if we think about the function of our passage this evening in its context, just prior to we have a strong warning to keep away from the adulteress, just after we have a strong warning to keep away from her, and many would agree that the the purpose of this passage situated in the middle is yet the same warning to keep away. Keep away from what specifically? Well, you'll see that there are three scenarios presented here. There are three scenarios, all of which revolve around the concept of relationship. In one way or another, as we'll see this evening, each scenario centers on the concept of relationship, or you might say friendship, and every scenario is negative. Solomon is saying to his son, keep away from this. Now for us, the reader, as we receive the book of Proverbs, this passage functions in exactly the same way. We read these and we have to understand that the the force of this text is exactly the same. We need to heed the warnings and keep away from the scenarios or the people given to us in 6, 1 through 19. It's a warning to us with respect to relationships. And then as we really ponder these passages and we heed those warnings, 
we could say that there is a positive exhortation to make. Every coin has two sides, and as we heed the warning, at the same time we need to understand what the positive exhortation would be to us. So we might say that this passage tonight gives us a very well-developed and robust theology of friendship. It gives to us a very well-developed understanding of relational excellence. How can I be skillful in my relationships? How can I pick good friends? This is a guide for how to find friends among fools. Now, if we think about the importance of such an idea, how important is it to be one who knows how to choose wisely when it comes to friends? Think with me just for a minute about the nature of relationships. They are fundamental to what it means to be human. To be in relationship means that you are human. To have friends is what it means to be a person. You really can't operate in society without being relational. Think about your daily routine. You can't get very far in the day before you have to rely on somebody or somebody is relying on you. Relationships are everywhere. There is very few things that you can truly pursue as a solo effort in life. Relationships and friendships are key to our very existence. The book of Proverbs speaks a lot about friendship. And the book of Proverbs, which teaches us how to live skillfully, shows us that one key means to pursuing a skillful and a wise path is to pick good friends. One of the key ways in which we can pursue excellence in a way that pleases the Lord is to choose good friends. Relationships matter. Bad friendships, poorly chosen companions, corrupt. Bad friends will lead astray. They will influence you, and they will get you into a lot of trouble. We all of us need the skill of finding friends among fools. And we could even push the significance of it further. Beyond the book of Proverbs, think about the theology of the Old Testament. We have been created and fashioned and formed by a relational God. Consider just a minute how the Bible begins. God creates mankind as the pinnacle of the created order. And we're told in Genesis 1:27 that we have been made in the image of God. It's so important, that one verse, that we have been made in the image of God to remember that we are unique in all of God's creation. There is nothing else on this planet that carries the image of God. It is us. He created us in the image of God, which means we represent him, we imitate him, we have the privilege of representing his character and his nature in a specific and a special way. Now, how do we do that? Well, one way, if it's true that God is a relational God, God existed before the foundation of the world in relationship with himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you might say, in perfect friendship with one another, 
If that's the character of God, then one way in which we imitate his character is to be in relationship with each other. Friendships are not insignificant. We touched on this very concept this morning as we thought through the idea of marriage. The reason marriage is so special is because, again, it imitates the relational nature of God. And then think about the very next verse, 128, God gives us the privilege, you've been created in my image. Next verse, he gives us the responsibility. And he says, now go and fill the earth. Now, what does that mean? You've been made in the image of God. You are my image bearers. You reflect my glory in a special way. Now go and fill the earth. Which means God is saying, spread my glory around this earth. You imitate me, you image me, you reflect my glory. Now fill the earth, fill the earth as image bearers, fill the earth with my glory. So when you pursue good friendships, that is just one very specific way in which you can glorify the the Lord greatly. By contrast, when you try and pursue life alone, void of any real friendships in your life, or when you pursue bad friendships, you do great injury to the name of the Lord. It is of paramount importance that we all of us develop the skill of finding good friends. Now, how do we do this? Is it like catching lightning in a bottle? Is it a really hard pursuit to to go after? Actually, no. It's very straightforward. And and here is just one portion of God's word that guides us to learn how it is we pursue relational excellence. We have three stanzas here, three scenarios, and each one gives us a principle for finding friends among fools. The first one, verses 1 through 5, I've entitled simply, Befriend Your Friends. Befriend your friends. Now, I'll explain what I mean by that in just one moment. But first, look at the text again with me. Solomon creates a hypothetical scenario. Verse 1, my son, if you've put up security for your neighbor, if you've given your pledge for a stranger. So the hypothetical scenario is that the son has been approached by a man. This man has taken out a loan. He has bought a horse. And he took out a loan to buy the horse, and now he owes money to the, to the person that loaned him the, the money, maybe with a little bit of interest each month. He has to keep up his payments. And the son has said he will be the security for him. He'll be the, the backstop. He'll be the surety. So that if the man who owes the money month by month, if he defaults on his payment... If for some reason he can't keep up with his payments, the son has agreed that he'll make the payments on his behalf. If you have put up security for your neighbor, if you've given your pledge for a stranger. Verse 2, if, you've snared, if you are snared in the words of your mouth, caught in the words of your mouth. So he made the agreement verbally, probably in the presence of others, and it's become binding. It is a binding agreement. Solomon says, do this. Save yourself, verse 3. You have come into the hand of your neighbor. Go hasten and plead urgently with him. Solomon is saying forcefully, get 
out of the commitment that you have made. Now, let's think through what the particular issue is here. The issue is not the borrowing of money. Many Christians think that a loan in any form is inherently bad. As long as it's pursued with wisdom, as long as it's done responsibly, there's nothing against that. It's not the case that being a surety for another is condemned. In fact, the Old Testament law makes provision for doing exactly what the Son has done here. The Old Testament law back in the book of Exodus says, if you loan money, it's reasonable to expect that the person you're loaning to has a backup, that he has someone in place to make the payments if he fails. So that's not even the issue. The issue here, verse 1, is that the son has given his pledge for a stranger. The issue is that the son has said he would do this for someone whom he does not know. Now, Solomon uses the word neighbor. He uses that word in its broadest sense. It doesn't mean friend here. It just means a co-equal, somebody in the same environment. You, You know, that guy down the street who you see him every day going to work. I know he's married. I think it's two kids I've seen. There may be more. No, I don't know his name. That's the neighbor in this scenario. And it's that person that the son has said, sure, I'll be the security for you. He's made a decision that he has not thought through. This decision carries a huge amount of risk with it. He has no idea whether this stranger is financially equipped to keep up the payments. And so he risks his own financial ruin because he didn't spend time getting to know this guy. And so Solomon, in response, says, son, you have to get out of this commitment. Solomon pleads with him and he says, work until you are exhausted to get yourself out. Give your eyes no sleep, no slumber. You go and knock on his door again and again and again, and you plead with him until he says, okay, you're absolved of that responsibility. Or else, verse 5, the hunter will come, the one that lent the money. When he defaults, the hunter will come. And notice, we are not even told in this hypothetical scenario whether the man, the neighbor, the stranger is able to keep up the payments or not. Solomon doesn't even play it out for us to say, oh, and by the way, he does default two months down the line. He doesn't even consider that. He says the very fact that you've entered into this with someone that you did not know is absolute folly. You're listening to Timeless Truth Today. Solomon has set up a dangerous dilemma out of which he saves his son from folly. His son has guaranteed a neighbor's investment or loan and has gambled on the trustworthiness of an unknown person. Is the son doing this to build a friendship with his neighbor? And what neighbor with right motives would ever expect this in return for a friendship? Solomon rejoins with this advice. You have come into the hand of your neighbor. Give your eyes no sleep. Save yourself like a gazelle from the hand of the hunter. This, to Solomon's son, is an escape from one who is leading him down the path of folly. God's word instructs us to fix our eyes on Jesus Christ investing in His sound teaching, no matter how desperate we feel. To learn more about following God in wise living, come to our website, timelesstruthtoday.org. 
Select Broadcasts, and there you'll discover our free audio programs like this one with an abundance of scriptural wisdom. Timeless Truth Today is a teaching ministry of Pastor Paul Twiss, a listener-supported outreach of Bethany Bible Church in Thousand Oaks, California. If the solid Bible teaching of this outreach ministry is a great benefit to your walk with Jesus, would you consider making a financial gift? When you do, others will benefit as you become part of what God is doing to reach thousands of souls with the good news of Jesus Christ. To make your gift of any amount, go to TimelessTruthToday.org and select Donate. Tomorrow, it's part 11 of Skillful Living, Introducing Proverbs, as Pastor Paul goes deeper in the wisdom of Proverbs on finding friends in a foolish world. I'm Matt Williams. Thank you for listening.